Hello, this is Kristen Kelp, and you are about to listen to an episode of That's What She Said. But before you do that, I've got a freebie for you. There's a free breathwork class waiting for you at breathehealrepeat.com. If you've heard about breathwork, but you haven't yet given it a try, especially if your insides feel strangely numb or like you have about 27 dumpster fires going, breathwork will help. It is free, it is simple, and it just requires a place to lie down and breathe. Pretty basic instructions. So breathehealrepeat.com and grab your free class now. Hello and welcome to this episode of That's What She Said. Today we're talking about the six people principle and what that is. But first I wanted to give you a Cookie Monster update. because So if you haven't listened to that yet, it's all about overcoming seasonal affective disorder and uh, a working theory of how to defeat depression is the name of the episode. Um, so Cookie Monster, here's what I need to tell you. It's working. I am still good. And the other thing is clothing. So as the seasons change and you're like, oh God, it's getting colder. You can do that thing where you don't like it or you resist it, which is what I do. I, I am dragged kicking and screaming into fall. You can also buy clothing in advance and then hide it from yourself. So I was out shopping and purchased a sweater that has a seal wearing a top hat and a monocle on it and then promptly hid it from myself so that at some point I will discover that and be like, oh my God. And in some way, the winter day that I'm facing will not be so terrible. So there's another little piece of wisdom for you. Also, uh, the True Cost movie, True Cost of Fashion. Don't watch that if you ever enjoy, want to enjoy shopping for clothing ever again because it makes everything an ethical dilemma. And so the way that I get around the ethics of it is to buy um, consigned or used or vintage clothing because that way it isn't buying new from the person who is perpetrating, person or company who is perpetrating the terrible ethics. So I'm only buying used slash vintage slash consigned slash, you know, not brand new from the store clothing in order to avoid the ethics of supporting companies that are doing horrible, horrible things to people, in particular women, in their quest to make ever cheaper goods at lower and lower prices. That, my friend, is a tangent. (laughs) It's the True Cost movie, which you can totally catch on Netflix if you want to know what's going on and it's really terrible. So the six people principle, as I'm sitting in sabbatical and sitting is like the hardest thing, uh, I'm facing a lot of, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. And I'm just noticing because the whole point of sabbatical is for me to not do anything. I'm just noticing how frequently that comes up and there are other things that come with it. So as I think of a new project, which I'm not going to do because sabbatical is not over yet. I've noticed a pattern. The first thing is that there is this blinding fear that everybody I know is going to read it, see it, consume it, and or judge it, but mostly judge it, right? So no matter what it is that I may come up with or do or sell or produce or give away or deem worthy, people are going to judge it. And that's terrifying, just, so just noticing that, that's normal. When you come up with something new, or even when you're putting out the same thing that you've been putting out, but it's reaching a larger audience, or you need it to do more, or it's already doing more, or your reach is expanding, there is this blinding fear. And you just acknowledge that's a blinding fear. It's not rational. It's not going to be rational the more that you examine it. So you're just going to have to trudge through that. 
the next thing that helps me to sort of come to a calm place where my belly can actually expand instead of sort of constricting in fear, and then I start breathing like just as far as my heart and no further, like I don't breathe into my belly at all. Um, if I assume that millions of people are going to consume whatever it is I make next, I would never put a single word out. There are people that want to be famous, that want an empire, that want millions of people to read their every word, and I find that fucking terrifying. So I do the opposite, which is instead of going to the place where I assume millions of people are going to read it and then just shutting down, because I do not, have you ever read Lena Dunham's Instagram comments? It's a goddamn nightmare. Uh, or YouTube comments, or just, I don't want that. So I am coming to a place of the six people principle, which is if, if only six people read this, use this, look at this, or buy this, is it still worth making? If yes, then we make it. And if not, then we don't make it. So the thing is that when it comes to profitability, it's so simple to make the numbers work. I can make the numbers do anything. In chemistry class, I would know exactly how to work backwards from the answer that I was supposed to get to make my work look like I had done it that way, when in reality, there was some sort of concoction that I had spilled all over the chemistry table, and then I just fucking fucking lied about what I had done to get the results that I said that I got, which were believably imperfect. Um, so I can fudge those numbers in any way that I would like, particularly in my mind before I've made something, um, to say like, oh my God, yes, I'm going to make this thing and it's a thousand dollars and yeah, I can totally sell 300 of them. And then boom, I'm just off on numbers fantasy land, just high as a kite, thinking about all that money I'm going to make. And I'm not coming back to the place where, okay, but what if only six people like it? What if only six people buy it? What if only six people read it? Is it still worth doing? And this is the way, so there's this thing where no one's going to read it, and that's totally private, and that is not going to be for public consumption, which is where a lot of art and business stops right there. And then there's like, well, you want to reach millions, which I find horrifying. Um, then there's this in-between of like, okay, but is it still worth doing if only six people are going to consume it? If only six people are going to hire you this year if for this thing, if only six people are going to read your book, if only six people are going to come to your class, if only six people are going to take advantage of that sale that you're offering, is it still worth doing? And if the answer is yes, you are fucking golden because the odds are that more than six people will purchase it or buy it or like it or dig it. But when you make it with just that small number in mind, you're going to be more intimate. You're going to be more vulnerable. You're going to pay more attention to the details that actually matter, like connecting with people and less attention to details like tech savvy user interfaceiness, right? So I find that it's really, 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 really easy to scale up, to have an idea, and then instead of, it's, it's going to be a poetry book and it's going to have, you know, 30 poems in it, suddenly it's got to have 130 poems in it. And instead of being $10, it's going to be $30. And instead of uh, doing a reading at a local bookstore, I'm going to do a 10-city tour. And instead, no, 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 a 20-city tour. And instead of a 20-city tour, I'm also going to pay other people to come and speak as a bribe in order to come, like... The scaling up, it never ends. So you have an idea and it seems really simple and straightforward. And because it seems so simple and straightforward, you're like, I could totally do that. So you double it or you triple it or you figure out a way that it's supposed to be a class that happens in person with six people and then you find a way to make it online so it's scalable because that's what all the people say you're supposed to do. 
So what started as this tiny little class for six people in your backyard that lasts for two hours is suddenly a class you're writing for thousands of people that's going to live on the internet forever. Forever, right? (laughs) So do you see how this is destructive to that teeny tiny idea that just wanted to reach six people? That when you inwardly scale up, it ensures that you have failed before you've even started. Because instead of just making the thing for those six people, you're suddenly worried about the logistics for when you've sold the first hundred or the first thousand. And instead of it being something that happens in your backyard with six people, now we have to worry about the website and the interface and the membership logistics and the emails and the phone calls and all the logistics that you just fucking made up when you scaled it up because it was going to be in your backyard. So the six people principle is if you want to make a thing for six people, make it for six people and then learn from those six people and then bring it into its next iteration, whether that's interesting or not, whether it changes or not, whether you're like, oh God, that was a bad idea. Thank God I didn't dedicate three years of my life to making that because it wasn't exactly what I wanted. As you get closer, don't beat yourself up for getting closer and then keep making the thing and keep it. It's okay to keep it small. It's okay to keep a really sharp focus for a small set of people. That is not the prevailing wisdom. The prevailing wisdom is if you can reach six people, you should be reaching 60. If you can reach 60, you should be reaching 6,000. If you're reaching 6,000, you are wasting your talents unless you're reaching 60,000. And at 60,000, well, you should be reaching 600,000. Like it's never going to stop. But if you inwardly scale up, I have found that that is completely overwhelming and you go into shutdown mode really, really, really quickly. Along with shutdown mode, you go into this unreachable standard in which you have to be as perfect as X person that you constantly compare yourself to. We all have one. And then you might be tempted to hide behind perfectionism. So it takes you seven years to write your book and then you show it to exactly no one. (laughs) Right? Um, Or it takes you seven years to write your book and then you're so dedicated to the fact that it has to be a New York Times bestseller that you're unwilling to take the book deals that are offered to you because they aren't good enough, because they aren't perfect enough, because they didn't meet your expectation of how it was supposed to go. Here's the thing. This is brutally honest. Most people cannot tell the difference between your 90% and your 100%, or according to the business books, your 130% or your whatever it is. That uh, when Bear goes out to DJ and he gives 100% or 110%, people, he gets really upset that people can't tell the difference, that people don't notice that every single chord has been lovingly held down, taped down, and beautifully arranged so as not to be an eyesore, that every element of his getup has been cleaned and perfected, and most people can't tell the difference between 90% and 100%, that unless I am also a professional in the DJ arena, I'm not going to know the difference between the speakers that cost $1,000 and the speakers that cost $10,000 because I'm just having some beers and dancing to some music, man. <laughs> like, So when you start to have that interior monologue that is just dedicated to an unreachable standard and that is absolutely committed to perfectionism and only perfectionism, you come back. People cannot tell the difference between your 90% and your 100% unless... That last 10% is you paying for an editor for your grammar or something that's really obvious, right? But you know that. And so your brain is going to, you have an idea, you want to start to bring it to life. It's going to immediately scale up. It's going to immediately make it way more complicated. It's 
going to immediately start worrying about problems that are not yet problems, but that will be problems very soon, it assures you. It's going to be completely convinced that whatever you do is not good enough. Already, you haven't done a fucking thing except have an idea, and it's going to tell you that it's not good enough. And then it's going to tell you that six people are not enough, that those six people, not worth it. The thing is that it's totally worth it. When I released all the selves I used to be, and I was like, my goal is to sell 10 copies before this thing goes live. 10! And I was not joking or exaggerating or being funny or being silly or stupid or facetious or whatever. I just wanted to fucking get it out there and know that people had paid to buy my poetry. That was the goal. If I had set myself up to be like, oh, this is going to be a New York Times bestseller. Here I go. I'm going to tour 30 cities and I'm going to spend thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. It would not have gone well for me. (laughs) In fact, I might not have even released the book because it would have stopped me dead in my tracks. Right. But something in me was like, I will totally do this for 10 people or 20 people. It's just something that needs to happen. And those are the projects that are worth doing. In the business world, profitability is the number one. It's got to be profitable or it's not worth doing. It's got to be. Yes, but before that, is it worth doing if it's not profitable? Because that's the interesting place to start. That's the place where the really, really good, vulnerable, tender pieces of you get to come out. Is it worth doing even if you make nothing? I'm not saying go and make nothing. I'm saying is it absolutely 100% like fuck yeah, I'm doing this. And then when you get paid for it, it's just the fucking bonus instead of the reason you did the whole thing in the first place. So if you make money, the foundation, I am doing this in order to make more money and be profitable. Here we go. It's not nearly as interesting as if you're like, oh my God, I'm doing this bonus. I get paid for it. That when you make the foundation, this place where you come from, that it doesn't have to do anything, but you invite it to do things for you and with you. And you invite the whole world to come and play with you in this one project that you've taken on that feels absolutely necessary? Do you feel how there's joy as the foundational layer versus, well, there's, there's financial compensation as the first layer? They are worlds apart. And I promise the people that you are the most envious of, when you're really deep down all the way like, oh God, what everything they do is fucking fantastic, they start with joy. And the people that you're like, I should be envious. You make a lot of money. Tell me how you make lots of money. That's not even fucking interesting. So you made $22 million. Are you so alive that the air around you feels electric? Because if you're not so alive that the air around you feels electric, I don't care how many dollars you have. So start with joy, start with life, start with vitality, start with projects and the things and the ideas that don't make sense to anyone else, but you would happily make them for six people. And instead of the unreachable standard in which you require yourself to reach millions starting today, what if you just reach six people? What if you do that in a way that's beautiful and that's captivating, that starts with joy and that ends with, oh my God, I get paid to do this. What then? Then you would make fucking awesome shit. And people pay attention because there is so much life in it and so much joy in it that who the fuck cares if it made millions of dollars? Money is such an uninteresting measure of whether something is actually successful or not. I can't even tell you. So I can feel the criticism there. Like, yeah, you don't fucking know, Kristen. That's because you're not fucking broke. Listen, I've been more broke than you can imagine. 
in the last couple of years. And I've had tons of money in the bank at other points in the last couple of years. And I can tell you that when I'm in deep with the projects that make me joy and that start with joy, and then I worry about profitability as the very last step, I am fucking delighted and elated with life. And when I'm in deep on projects that start with profitability and that add joy as some sort of optional layer much further on, it's not as good. It's just not. So what if you trusted me enough to just make a project that feels good and that starts with joy and then figure out how to make it profitable? But start with the place where you cannot give it up and the place where you are just fucking joyous that you get to do this, where you are stunned that this is the work you get to do in the world. So guys, with Steer Your Ship, it's totally sold out. There are six spaces. All six are gone. Um, And it's because that was how many people they can take when we swim with otters. There are only six places plus um, two instructors. And so it was like, well, then there can only be six people. So this whole six people principle, I'm not just saying it in theory, like in practice, I'm having a whole fucking six-month program that has six people in it. And it is, it's not scalable. Like, swimming with otters is not something I can offer to thousands of people on the internet. It's real and it's in person and it's lively and it's alive and we're going to laugh and we're going to cry and it's going to be all the things in all the fields. And I'm doing it because it has to be done and because it is so much joy, because it gives me so much life and juice and vitality and bonus. Since I sold all six spots, it'll be profitable. But I didn't start with profitability. I didn't start with how much money can I get for this and then let me work backwards. I started with, oh my God, I get to do this. So can you start there? And can you start with six people? And if six is too many, can you make it two? Can you just bring whatever wants to be in the world that is tender and vulnerable and soft and that feels entirely too like your heart is on the line? Bring that into the world. That is what we want to see. That is what we want to hear. That is what we want to know. I saw the film Don't Think Twice. Took forever to think of the name. Jeez. Um, Don't Think Twice, which is by Mike Birbiglia. And I listened to an interview with him afterward because I was all, that film is fucking amazing. I have never had a film make me laugh so hard. And then the last scenes, like I wept all the way through the credits. And there was nothing in the credits. It was just credits. But I had to stay in the theater like sobbing through this movie. It was so powerful. And Mike Birbiglia's line in the interview that I hope I don't forget is... When it comes to writing, the only things that he writes, the only things that make it to the final cut, come from the line, if you're not telling your secrets, who cares? So start there. Start with your secrets. Start with the things that you feel could never, ever, 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 ever have a chance in the world. Those are the most interesting things. And then make them for six people and share them with six people and show them. And don't show people that you know are going to naysay that shit. Show the people that you actually made it for. Like, I didn't bring Studio Ship to my mom and say, oh my God, this is going to be the best thing ever. 
I brought it to the people that could actually appreciate it instead of someone who would be like, I don't understand why you would want to swim with otters and hang out in a house and talk about business for a bunch of time and then coach them. And then what do you do again? Like my mom doesn't get it. She's the wrong audience. So choose your audience carefully. Choose the people that you're actually making it for to go and see this work and then go and make the fucking work. Please, please do that. I am on sabbatical for a little while longer, but I'm still around, just not as frequently. In brandcamponline at gmail.com, still my email address. If you're not yet part of the Fuck Yeah Club, brandcampblog.com, you can sign up for the Fuck Yeah Club. And I'm going to be back with you in a couple of weeks doing God knows what, in God knows what capacity. And that is one of the most exciting things I can possibly imagine. May you, in the coming week, come to know what it is you would like to bring to six people. May you find something that brings your heart so much joy and fear and terror and also joy that you just have to bring it to life. And may the people who receive it find it truly noteworthy and amazing. And may the whole process bring you more alive than you ever, 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 ever thought possible. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to that episode of That's What She Said. You can always email me at k at kristenkelp.com if you want to talk more about anything you heard. And I double dog dare you to visit breathehealrepeat.com. Give breathwork a try and let me know how it goes. I'll see you soon.